Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. And here we are again, Blazer fans. It is your favorite Portland Trailblazers podcast, or if it's not, then we need to adjust something because we are Dave and Dia, Dave Deckard here with Dia Miller, both from Blazers Edge, talking about your Portland Trailblazers, bringing a ray of sunshine into a three-game losing streak. And actually, that's kind of in your portfolio, Dia, so let's throw it over to you. First of all, how are you doing? I am sleep deprived. <laughs> I have, you know, we've we've talked a little bit about our kids on here, but I've got I've got little kids and I'm in the depths of parenting stuff that's keeping me up at night. And so, I mean, I, that's not keeping me up at night. The children are keeping me up at night. But so I I apologize in advance for my lack of thoroughly put together sentences because <laughs> my sleep is greatly affects my how my brain processes I think. Uh, Dia's being modest she actually vowed not to sleep until the Blazers get another seven game <laughs> winning streak so we'll see what happens. Yeah you know I mean we said early on when CJ and Nurk got hurt that all we had to do was keep our heads above water and I know that after the winning streak we were on, two losses in a row is a tough pill to swallow. But the fact is, we're still, I, I mean, I haven't checked after tonight, but I think we're still fifth in the West. Are we still fifth in the West? Or did we drop to sixth? Somewhere. We're recording this right after the final horn. So I'm not sure of the standings and what shuffled, but we're right in there. I mean, it yeah. hardly matters. I mean, the distinction sure. is you're somewhere between four and four and six, four and seven. That is more than keeping our heads above water. That is fighting hard with a broken and battered team. And I would say, uh, even with these three losses, I guess since we last talked, we're still sitting pretty. I don't think it's time to panic. I don't think it's time to, you know, blow up the team and fire the coach. I think we're fine. I think we got to keep going. And we're, you know, not far from getting CJ back and hopefully Nurk and we're, we're good. We're good. We're in a good spot. I mean, we don't know about CJ. They got another week before they even look at him, but we hope. And the thing is, 
that I think something we talked about last week, it's starting to catch up with them. Yeah. First of all, the Blazers do really good at the beginning of halves. The first quarter, they're fantastic. The third quarter, they're pretty good. They run a positive margin in both quarters. They're losing the second quarter with a heck ton of, of deficit. Fourth quarter, slightly as well. So I think you find a couple things. First of all, the more they have to play the bench, the worse it gets. Also, I honestly think that fatigue is starting to catch up with them. They really need a break at this point because you start seeing things fall apart. The defense slips. uh, The three-pointers fall short. And it's not like they don't have late-game flurries when that adrenaline hits. They absolutely do. But the problem is they have to have them in order to win. And you can just see the energy wane in each half. And it feels like uh, too few players are playing too many minutes. And when that doesn't happen, there's too little talent to compensate for it. So I semi-agree with you that this is fine, and it is fine. We're not even the little dog in the burning room that fine. This is literally just fine. But I think that it's not sustainable necessarily. And and by the way, we said the same thing last week. We said one seven of eight games, and you heard me say, look, there are going to be downtimes. This is not going to continue either. There's not going to be this kind of consistency. It's fantastic that they got it, but you already see them tiring. I think that uh, March 7th or the All-Star break cannot come soon enough, and I think that they're going to look better after. Yeah, but I think that also brings us to the point of our key players – I guess we'll call them, are not maybe as fatigued as we would normally see because our bench is stepping up. I mean, tonight, we the bench was, was doing well. They recovered a deficit that we had, gave Dame a break for a little while. We're seeing these guys really kind of step up and find their place on this team. And I think that that's something that was really needed. We've depended on the same few guys very heavily. And I guess CJ and Nurt going down in, in a sense kind of forced us to uh, shift and adjust and pivot. And I think we're seeing that happen. And that's a good thing. So again, you know, I go back to what I said a few weeks ago that we don't have to win every game. We just have to see the good things that are happening in the midst of this. So we've won. We had a big stretch there of wins. Now we went on a road trip, tough teams, real tough teams after a stretch of wins. It's okay that we lost these three games. It's okay. We're going to be fine. It's not going to knock us out of contention. And in the midst of that, there are good things that are happening, even though we lost. The Suns loss was a blowout loss, but the other two were not. The other two were not blowout losses. We were close and played decently. I'm not upset about it. Yeah, well, I'm not upset about it either. I think Phoenix wanted to send a message, and they did. They were loaded for bear coming in. And the Blazers, frankly, didn't have enough. You knew the Blazers were going to have a tough time with that lineup. But I would argue against, I agree with everything you said, except the bench step up is making people less fatigued because I think it's really not. They're playing eight players and sometimes less than eight players. And that's a playoff rotation. That's a postseason rotation. You're not supposed to see that. You can't keep it up. Yeah, it's just not sustainable. You're also really dependent on that bench. Now, keep in mind, Gary Trent Jr. is not on the bench anymore. The bench is Carmelo Anthony, Nasir Little, and Fernie Simons, with Giles out, of course. You're super dependent on Carmelo and somewhat on Anthony Simons 
And that's just reality. If they don't come up big, there's a huge deficit there. And that's really precarious. We've seen the Jekyll and Hyde from from Anthony. I mean, tonight in Denver, he was fantastic. He looked like he had the announcers comparing him to Denver Nugget version Carmelo Anthony. And that's great when it happens. But A, there are costs to that in terms of the flow of the offense. And B, it doesn't happen every night. And it can't happen every night. No, it's not consistent. So it's not smoking mirrors it's really happening but the margin is so thin it's paper thin and that angle has got to be just right for the blazers to win or if it tilts a little too sideways they're exposed look good teams are going to take advantage of that good teams are going to tilt them sideways that's what phoenix did denver did it a little bit too i mean denver knew what they were doing i don't know if you saw it like at the at the end of the game at the beginning of the game they were going to Jokic inside and Cantor, god bless him was doing a, a pretty good job and Jokic missed a lot uh he missed a lot of easy shots but hey Cantor was still up against him Denver makes a quick adjustment and takes Jokic outside. And all of a sudden, Cantor's lost. In fact, the the real game-winning bucket that sealed it was kind of Jokic out about 25 feet. Cantor looking, standing in the middle of the lane going, what do I do? And finally, he ran out to cover Jokic. And Jokic just dribbled around him and dunked. I mean, it was was over. And there was, that's, emblematic of what's going on with the Blazers. It looks good from a certain angle, but if you just tilt them a little bit, it's going to take a heroic effort to keep it together. Well, I think you bring up an issue that we're struggling with, and that's covering centers. We are, especially with Nurk and Zach, and now Giles is out too, we're, we're struggling in that spot. When you have a team like Denver that has Jokic on their team, yeah, I mean, the guy's in MVP talks. He's clearly one of the best playing the game. How tall is he? Do you know? I feel like he looked so much bigger than anyone we had on the court. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know right offhand. I think he's taller He's taller than Cantor. Uh, oh, so, for sure. So you're correct about that. Yeah. But I, I don't think he's like 7'3". I mean, he's in the 7-foot no. range, give or take. But he just, he and maybe it's his wingspan, I don't know. But he just, he looked like he was looming over our team. And there's an advantage to height in basketball. There's an advantage to that. And not only height, but an excellent player. When Portland's struggling to cover the center position anyway, that's a recipe for disaster for us. He's listed at 6'11", so, I mean, close enough to seven feet. Yeah. Uh, But that's still taller than Cantor is, honestly. I mean, when you start to see Cantor and Covington on the floor, you realize there's not a lot of difference between the two. Cantor plays big, but he's not real tall. Well, and here's the thing, though. Look, you say, okay, well, who has a good center anymore? There's starting to be a revival, actually. I mean, Jokic is there. Obviously, Anthony Davis is there. And both of those are right in Portland's way in the Western Conference. Uh, Utah has Gobert. And Gobert is a different kind of center. I think the, the Blazers will probably match up a little better against him. But, you know, Joel Embiid, you saw him just tear Portland a new one twice and granted these are elite players so you expect them to do it but the thing is it's happening like every time like the the, the Blazers are not having any good games against really great centers so there's there's a vulnerability there and again we hope Jokic or sorry Nurkic gets back that said what Nurkic? It's got to be a really good Nurkic because that's not sustainable if you want to get through the playoffs. You're going to run into good centers in the West. Yeah, because Nurkic was struggling. I mean, we talked about that. He he was struggling at the beginning of the season, and he was open about that. He was straightforward about that. 
and we talked about that. You were saying how that's one of the keys to us being good is a good Nurkic. And now we have no Nurkic. You know, we've had guys who have kind of filled in in that role as, as well as they can. But when he comes back, we need him to be himself. I don't think it ever came out exactly what struggles he was dealing with personally at, at home in Bosnia. That was all the information we were given. But I have hope that by the time he comes back, not just for the reason of basketball, but for his sake as well, that that stuff will have settled and he will be back to his normal self. You know, I mean, he came back from his last injury looking really good. So we know he can. So hopefully that's what we see from him. And that's the key, even if it's not entirely healed, that there's some compartmentalization to where, okay, this doesn't drift over into being out of shape now three or four months into the season and granted rehabbing, but you should be able to do some cardio, I think, if you're rehabbing a wrist. So uh, I, I assume he's going to come back in good shape. I assume that's going to solve the problem. Look, I think Nurkic's problem obviously was emotionally, mentally driven a little bit, but I don't think motivation was the issue, like on-court motivation. It was the motivation to get in shape, to play well on the court. And I, I believe he should have that at this point. And probably being in Portland and being with the trainers and doing stuff will take care of that. So the point, again, being you're not going to do well without him. And the Blazers are demonstrating that yet again because they're, they're getting by against a, a lot of teams, but they're, they're going to hit a serious roadblock if they want to win in the postseason and cannot defend a five. Yeah, the the one other thing that I think we need to talk about as far as how they're playing, maybe not the one other thing, but another thing, is in the last little series of games here, Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington have really found their pace. They don't look like guys that are trying to figure out where they belong on a team anymore. They look like they're part of a team. They've found their confidence. They've figured out where they fit. I feel like for a while there, we would watch them, and there was a little bit of like a, you're watching old versus new. We're watching the, the guys that are used to play together, and then we're watching these two on the outside kind of scrambling around, figuring out what they're trying to do. And I think that is no longer there it seems to be a you know like they've clicked like they've found their connections they found their place and they're really working together as a cohesive unit rather than the new guys and the rest of the team i think that that's a, a great thing to see Right. And it's not just experience, but it's predictability at the center position. There's a reason they call him a center. And that's because the defense often keys, especially in Portland, when you don't have a lot of guard defense, the defense keys around the big man in the middle. And at the beginning of the season, not only were the forwards brand new, but they were playing off of Nurkic and Nurkic was inconsistent as heck. How do you play off right. of someone when you don't know where he's going to be on a given play? Well, yeah. okay, Cantor's not a great defender, but you can clock Cantor. You can kind of tell what's going to happen. For instance, tonight, Cantor, uh, on one drive at least, shadowed Jokic over to Jones's side, and Jones was watching, and Jones came out of the blue and just swatted the heck out of Jokic's uh, layup attempt, which was yeah. just, it was a highlight play, but it's it, it, Jones has been getting a lot more blocks lately. Covington has been rebounding well, so has Jones, really, and I think a lot of that is not just inherent ability, but they've got Cantor clocked, so they know where they can find the seams yeah. and edges, which is 
just great. Again, there's going to be another adjustment period when Nurk comes back. They should make that more quickly because, as you say, they've been with the team longer. But again, it shows you the importance of continuity at that position that's not the first position you look at when you see the Blazers. It's always the guards. But really, the center makes a huge difference for them. It does. And I think they've been a good addition as well with offense. Covington especially, we've watched his numbers just go up in big ways. <laughs> he's been shooting he's been shooting over forty percent from yeah, the three point arc this month, I believe. Didn't he start at like eleven percent? No, I mean it wasn't that bad, but he was in the he was in the, the high twenties. Well, I mean, for a couple games, but he was in the high, he used to be in the high 20s. Well, that was Jones. Covington might have been in the low 30s. That's about where he was laying. He was was doing well when he got to 33%, right? You breathe a sigh of relief. Now he's shooting 41%, not overall, because he's still being dragged down on average by the early start. But right now he's pretty bankable and he's pretty confident and that makes a difference. It does. It really does. I mean, when you've got so many guys that can shoot that three confidently, that can consistently hit that, that makes a big difference. When you've got guys that are shooting 40%, that makes a huge difference, especially on our lack of defense. I keep going back to what you said about our our defensive strategy being score 200 points and hope it's enough. And really, I think Portland tends to fall back on that. When all else fails, score. And I think that in some ways, when we've got guys like Robert Covington, who at the beginning of the season were struggling and now are shooting 40%, that works for us. Again, it's not something that can be prolonged. It's not something we can keep up forever. But in this time where we're struggling with injuries, it's kind of working. Well, and it's not just score 200 anymore. And Covington's not <laughs> shooting 40% overall. That's literally from the three-point arc, which exposes what the Blazers are doing. It's Right now, it's when all else fails, shoot the three. And they yeah. are shooting threes at a rate that is near the top of the league. They are third in the NBA in three-point attempts Per shot. In other words, 40, 46% of their shots are threes right now. Almost half are threes. Utah's ahead of them, and I think someone else might be Houston or whatever. Utah's like insane, but the Blazers are very, very high. It's not a bad strategy because they're fifth in three-point percentage. They're second overall in three-point attempts taken. Okay, so the three is everything to them. Now, again, not a bad strategy because they're injured. Where are they going to get scoring inside? They don't have a lot of people to score off the drive right now, and they don't want to bang up Damian Lillard by doing that constantly. Right. Uh, Gary Trent's not that guy. Anthony Simons isn't reliable inside yet, although he's got the moves to get in there. So you take all these guys who are having trouble scoring anywhere else and you say, do what you can do, which is shoot the three. Gary Trent shooting very well. Anthony Simons up above 40% for the season last time I checked. Obviously, we talked about Covington. Jones still isn't up there, but you're not entirely ashamed anymore. The only guy who's not shooting threes is Ennis Kander. By the way, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony often looks better shooting the straight-up straight three, like just catch-and-shoot three, than he does in his ISO moves. So, yeah. look, it's, it's everything to them. And when they hit the three... They look good and they have a chance to win. If they do not hit the three, it's big, big trouble for them. 
the NBA has shifted. It's become much more of a three-point game than it's ever been before. I mean, that's essentially, if you look at those really cool little charts that show all the little dots from where people shoot and where they make it from now versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's drastically widened. I mean, it used to be a lot more in the paint, a lot more you know, mid-range game, and now it's very heavy three-point game. I have mixed feelings about that. I, I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, it's clearly a big part of what Portland does. I feel like it gets old. I feel like it gets old. I want to see, I, I we've talked before about how much I love defense. I love to see that. It's exciting to see someone pull up and shoot a three from, you know, 30 feet out. Like, that's great, and it's exciting, and we see it a lot with Dame, and maybe that's part of why it's getting boring, because Dame's so dang good at it that I get used to seeing it so much but I I want to see ball movement and I want to see passing and I want to see drives to the basket and I want to see dunks I like the three-point I think it's cool it's obviously become a big part of the game but I mean are we going to get five years down the road and guys are just going to come over the half court line and shoot the ball and that's going to be the entire game the whole time one team shoots it from there the next team shoots it from there back and forth back and forth and then we're done yeah, we're getting closer. And the problem is not just that more people are good at it. That's actually a good thing. And you're right. The shot chart for the league looks like a rainbow above the earth. There's a little globe down in the restricted area and then a big rainbow up above and just empty sky in between. Take out CJ McCollum and that'd be probably totally empty. In any yeah. case, I think we're getting closer to what you fear. I don't think a ton of people are going to be taking logo threes. But if you look at it, if you watch other people's games, it's getting a lot of cookie cutter offense. And it's not that there's not passing. It's just that literally the passing is always setting up the three. There's no Isaiah Thomas in there doing dipsy doodles underneath two defenders and just scoring, you know, 20 points a game hard nosed. Um, there's not a lot of even LaMarcus Aldridge mid range game in there uh, with those beautiful little uh, pick and pops. It's literally pick and drive and set up the three or pick and just shoot the three. I don't hate it, but I'm starting to fall out of love with it. One of the suggestions I've heard, in fact, I think Danny Morang says this a lot, uh, our colleague, uh, is just eliminate the corner, the sideline three, basically. Uh, make the arc go in a semicircle or straight out. That could be one thing. I actually, I just thought of this tonight. What if you limited the number of shots that counted as three-pointers each quarter? Look, Utah hit 17 threes a game, basically. That's the max in the league. So, I mean, even if you wanted to max it out, you could say four per quarter, maybe three. But, like, in each given quarter, your first three or four threes, whatever you say, count as three points. But after that, the light goes off and every shot's a two, even if it's out there. And you don't get to get credit for the three-pointer, even if you had a long shot, after your first X number per quarter. And maybe, like, uh, instead of the painted online, you, you put, like, strips of LED lights or something, you know, that, are, that you can see that aren't distracting or whatever uh, to the player's eyesight. But the light's lit when those shots count for three. As soon as you hit your requisite number, the light goes out on your end of the court, and you know that every shot's a two until the next quarter. And you do something like in the last, I don't know, two, four, or six minutes of the fourth, it's always on. So you can always try to come back back with the threes late in the game but basically after you've gotten your bucket full of extra points then you have to run a normal offense and if you want to run it for those distant shots it's fine but when they only count for two points now it doesn't make near as much sense 
That's interesting. As you're explaining that, I'm sitting here thinking, no, I hate that. No, I hate that. And then you said the part about how at the end, you know, you could turn it on at the end regardless and and fight it out. And then I was like, hmm, not a bad idea. I'm somebody that struggles with change. I like things the way that I'm used to them. This is part of why I struggle with trades. Inevitably, always end up loving the guys that we get and end up being fine with the guys that we've lost for the most part. Every now and then it's it's a little bit of I'm still upset about Seth Curry, but you know, whatever. Me too. I I there's there's every now and then there's someone like that, but for the most part, once the trade is done, I'm usually fine. I I get used to the new guys and I'm happy with them and I like them and they fit in and and they're great. Every now and then there's a dud, but usually they're, you know, I like them. And and the guys that have moved on, I wish them farewell. And when we play their teams or when I'm covering them for something else, I enjoy getting to watch them play for another team where they're thriving. But a big part of that for me is change. I don't like change. I like things the way that I like them. I have eaten the same sandwich from Subway since I was probably eight years old and first ate at Subway. What is it? Every- what is- oh, share. I got to know. It's not that exciting. It's a Subway Club, which they discontinued. Yeah, they yeah, discontinued I saw it. That. Okay. Like recently, this is thirty years of sandwich eating that I had to change. Okay. And I had to change it at the last. It was like I'm standing there asking for a club sandwich, and they're saying, "I'm sorry, we don't make that anymore." And suddenly, I have the pressure of, "Well, what the heck do I buy now?" Because that's what I've eaten for the last thirty years. I don't like change. We must detour into this. Okay. First of all, what do you have on your Subway Club? I eat like a five-year-old, first of all. Like, I eat like a five-year-old. I like everything plain. I don't venture out into new foods. I'm not an adventurous eater. I like my, I mean, my hamburgers are plain. I'm not going to go to like a random hole-in-the-wall place that's some other culture's cuisine. That's not my thing. Give me my hamburgers and my chicken and my good five-year-old eats. That's what I like. I actually have a little bit of food anxiety. Like if I'm going out to eat with people that I haven't eaten with before, I have anxiety about it because I feel it's embarrassing to have to order things like plain. And it's just, it's very uncomfortable for me. Now that I've told all, however many of you listen to Blazer's Edge about my insecurity with ordering food at restaurants. (laughs) I get my sandwich with cheese, mayonnaise, light lettuce and onions which is a new thing i onions when i was pregnant with my daughter i craved onions which was weird because i never eat them before and it never left so that's but that's it that's all i get on it okay yeah and this is folks you are hearing history being made here because dia and i are like peas and carrots in most things but no i'm the exact polar opposite of you i love that hole in the wall ethnic place if i see something that's different i've never tried i want to go try it i take my kids to it they oh. love it too that's it okay so subway it's chicken breast which is not making my argument very because chicken breast <laughs> is the most floppy vanilla white thing there uh, okay so anyway but all your vegetables except for cucumbers that i really don't like that much and spinach honey mustard salt and pepper good to go. I like spicy things too, but not at Subway. I used to eat the Subway Club. That used to be my favorite. So we have that in common. But here's the thing. Okay. Subway still has my chicken breast for now. But Taco Bell, did we talk about this? Taco Bell, I can't say it. It's a family podcast, but I want to say words that I can't say. For years, for years, Dia, this has been a family thing. Taco Bell is our go-to on the road, like when we're, we're traveling somewhere and we, we don't know where to stop or whatever, but there's a Taco Bell, and I have so many family memories in Taco Bell. 
And it's always for me. It's been the seven-layer burrito. All vegetarian, none of the processed soy meat, whatever. It doesn't, it tastes so-so on its own. But if you put the hot sauce on, I put like six, seven packets of hot sauce. My children like laugh at me because I'm like a machine. Like rip, squeeze, bite. Rip, squeeze, bite. I mean, do the whole seven-layer burrito. And it's delicious. And this is years. I mean, as long as the kids have been alive, this has been a go-to. And they don't have the seven-layer burrito anymore. And everything on their menu except the naked chicken chalupa sucks. And that's a seasonal thing that they haven't brought back for five years. So I can't go to Taco Bell anymore. And it's killing me. This is like a new thing that restaurants are doing where they're bringing like for a limited time only and they get you hooked and then they take it away from you. And that's just mean. It really is just mean. I don't even know what we were talking about. I'm like for a limited time only. Here's my cash. (laughs) Until you bring back that seven layer burrito or the naked chicken chalupa, you ain't getting it. It's not like I try those things because I don't try new things. I know what I order at every restaurant I go to. And it's the same thing that I have always ordered and I never stray from it. So here's the thing. The new passion that the kids have discovered is Popeye's chicken, which is admittedly really good. And they like the chicken strips and the chicken. I had the chicken sandwich because, you know, there was this big hullabaloo about how good it was. I thought it was pretty good for a chicken sandwich. Wouldn't go out of my way to get it. But for a fast food chicken sandwich, they're right. It's great. But then Popeye's, okay, fast food, how much could it be? $600 for a bucket of chicken. <laughs> and it's like, what? Like, I could, I mean, I, I could have bought a chicken farm for what Popeye's cost. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, but then you would have had to kill them, and I don't want to well, do that. That is true. Popeye's does the slaughtering. I'm paying you to kill the chicken, so I don't say, got it, and figure okay. out what the heck that strip's made out of. All right, so anyway. So back to this whole three-point thing. I don't like change. So the whole idea of having to change something that is so much a part of the game, it doesn't sit well with me. I could probably get there and, and, and there may be a need for this at some point because clearly it's overplayed right now, it seems like. But the idea of making that big of a change, and I know that basketball has changed over the years. I know rules have been changed. I know that's how this works. I get it. I understand that. But it's hard for me to accept that. It's hard for me to think about changing something like that. I just, I don't like it. I don't like change. There is an alternative. It's one I wrote about on site a while ago, which is just, if you're not going to change the parameters of what a three-point shot is or limit the number of time it counts, let defenders touch guards outside the arc. Let them hand check a little bit. Let them bump them a little bit without getting a foul called. Because right now, yeah. it's not just the three-pointers that literally you can't touch a guard. So when they drive, you can't body up on them. It's an automatic foul. So you have to go back and wait for them to put up the shot, right? Well, the problem is, as so many players do, they're not putting up the shot. They're not putting up the layup that you can block. They're going inside. You have to leave two feet of space between you and them. They do two hard dribbles. You back up two feet away from that. Then they step back and hit the three right and it's like yeah and that's all because you can't get up in them you can't touch them let them touch uh players again and that will probably solve as well then at least you have to make a legit pass in order to get your three instead of being a constant threat all over the time all over the place every time i mean i i have a tendency to say i don't want to see anything change because it's working for us as a team right now but maybe when dame retires then i'd like to see that happen <laughs> Yeah, well, a lot of people are saying make a four-pointer out there, but I think that's... Oh, no, let's not do that. that, That's not not pinball. Yeah, no. I mean, it's hard enough right now to remember how many free throws they get depending on where they get fouled and if they make the best. Like, there's enough enough 
point differentiation differentiation is that a word yeah different okay <laughs> there's enough of that already like let's not add a whole other thing i actually like that i like the idea of them being able to be a little more physical outside the three-point line again I, I like to see defense i think it's fun to watch and i think that that would definitely make things interesting you know a contested three in that sense would be that would make things interesting that might be a rule i could get behind that's not that's not a drastic change where it's gonna you know, completely throw me off as I watch back because this is clearly about me. (laughs) Well, I mean, another possibility, I think it's a slimmer possibility and I haven't thought this one through, but you could eliminate disqualifications. The six fouls and you're you're disqualified. You could just have infinite fouls. So it's kind of a choice if you want to body up. You know what I mean? Because I don't think people are not fouling because they're going to be DQ'd later. If they're going to hard foul, they're going to hard foul. And, you know, you can still have the flagrant rule, by the way. Two flagrants or a flagrant two or two flagrant ones and you're out or any kind of combination of two techs and you're out. That would prevent the rule from being abused. But then the defender could possibly make a choice. I'm going to risk a foul and body up so he doesn't get a three. And I'm going to try to make a good defensive play here. And if I get whistled, the offense does get a reward. They get two free throws that they have to make and that's fine but then that's a little bit more of a viable option instead of oh boy I only get three of these per half and if I get another one I'm gonna have to sit that's a pretty strong deterrent and I don't think it's nearly the same need now as it was when all the shots were inside right? When you had centers and they were the key to everything, you had to be careful about how much those centers were fouled because people would just send in thugs basically to, you know, hack them, okay? You know, you'd send in your scrub center who was seven foot tall and totally slow and all he could do was kind of get a rebound and maybe dunk if he got lucky but he had six fouls to spend and so you'd go up against Patrick Ewing or Hakeem Olajuwon or whoever and you'd basically knee them in the kidneys every time they caught the ball because you didn't care then the six fouls is important because you don't want that happening 200 times a game. That said, less common now, less important. Every player is more skilled. You can't conceal uh, unskilled players or immobile players or just, you know, your goons so much anymore. So uh, I think that you could ease up that rule a little bit. It's definitely something that there are options about. And I think at some point they're going to have to look at those options because the, the game is just changing so much. I miss that mid-range game i love the mid-range game that's a that's something i enjoy watching hopefully they'll they'll at some point make some adjustments although i hope they don't do it while we have dame because dame's really good completely selfishly i hope they don't do it while we have dame because he's really good at that and i know that there's always going to be someone who's a dame you know there's always well maybe not exactly but there's always going to be someone who's good at that there's always going to be someone who's thinking i don't want this rule change because but currently it's me it's i'm that person well you know and they're never going to do anything that's going to take away a dame shot or luka Doncic or anything like that they're not going to get rid of that they're going to overcorrect to make sure you still get those brilliant plays but th- let's admit it the ones you love the most are the end of game ones and so yeah. you know uh, those look they're never going to make a 30 footer or a last second shot not a three no matter what they do so right. that's safe you know the logo shot sure I mean that's great but you know that's just Dame specific I, and I think we could still have the logo shot without having to have every other player on the team also shoot threes to be viable it's definitely an interesting aspect of the game that probably is going to I would suspect in the near future is going to be looked at and possibly possibly revised let's talk about dame 
and the All-Stars. That is kind of a hot topic right now. You know, I, I'm trying to remember what point it was at when we we said We said he should, be, he should be a starter, and it would be... It had not been announced. Yeah, it had not been announced. And what okay. happened is he won the popular vote by like half a... Or he lost the popular vote by half a million, um, which is a small, you know, a percentage of the total. Uh, but it was significant. Luca beat him out legit there and that's worth 50 percent of the vote both the coaches and the players overwhelmingly voted for dame right so okay but it was it was a kind of a, a tie more or less but fans break ties so so Luca is it up. so was it because this is i've been sitting here like tell me how this makes sense tell me how this is a tie i don't see a tie here so is it because he won the fan vote which is worth 50 percent and then the coaches and the players were each worth 25 percent that's is that correct. the kind of and he won mm-hmm. those so he got 50, he got 50 percent and luca got 50 percent okay yeah because i'm looking at this thinking and no in no way is this any sort of tie but that makes sense yeah fans break ties Here, here's the thing to me i i and maybe i'm getting ahead of you i you know there's a lot of outrage about this as far as Dame fans are concerned. And even Luca came out and said he didn't expect it. He he kind of felt like, you know, Dame should have had it or would have had it. I, you know, at the end of the day, Dame's incredible. He's, he's absolutely all-star material. He's absolutely MVP. He should be in the MVP talks. We've talked about that a little bit. I've heard the argument that, you know, CJ really started out the season and carried the season before he got hurt. Dame kind of took a a step back and wasn't doing the things that he's doing currently. And that's true. That is true. That being said, it's really hard for me to, to look at Luca and look at Dame and think that Dame should not have had that starting spot. That being said, when I look at the voting and, and how that's laid out and the fact that he so clearly, so by so much, he more than, he had more than double on both the coaches and the player votes. And it, it's just, it's insane to me. And and to me, when I think of an all-star game, the tiebreaker should not be the fan votes, it, especially because of how they voted. I mean, they're having people tweet. They're having people go on the website. They can tweet. Some days it counts double. Some days it doesn't. Some days if you, people are tricking people into voting the wrong, I mean, it just seems like a mess to me. You did not get 2.3 whatever million votes, 5 million votes, whatever it was. You got, I mean, you got that many votes, but it wasn't that many people. And so to me, to look at that as the tiebreaker just doesn't really make sense. But if you want to make that the tiebreaker, if you want to make the fan vote the tiebreaker, because everybody's coming back at me as, well, this is really just a fan favorite game anyway, then fine, call it the fan favorite game. Don't call it the all-star game, because when you say all-stars, to me, that's the best of the best. That's not the fan favorites. This is a fan favorite vote. So to me, if you're going to have an all-star game, it needs to be based on skill i don't know if skill is the right word but like it needs to be the best and and it's not it shouldn't be a popularity contest if you're going to base it on you know if you're if you're going to have the coaches vote and the players vote and you can have the fans vote i'm not opposed to that but to me that shouldn't be the tiebreaker it shouldn't hold that much weight if you're going to call it an all-star game if you just want it to be a fan favorite game then call it a fan favorite game to me, that's two very different things, and that's what this is. This is a fan favorite game. It is essentially a popularity contest. It's who's in the biggest market, who has the most fans, who's because clearly the coaches and the players both voted more than 50% for, for or more than twice as much for Dane. So 
if it's about that, then Dame should have that spot. If it's popularity contest, then Luca apparently won that. Yeah, well, and there's no right way to do it because you could weigh it for the coaches and players. But then you ask, are these, is, is it an insular vote? Is it, you know, because if, if you go that way, well, does the fan vote really matter? Because coaches and players are likely to vote very similarly anyway. So, I mean, you have problems whichever way you go. All I know is this. There's there's sometimes things that happen that are unfair. You can't prevent them. There's no system that's going to. But I think we all need to agree that seeing Damian Lillard named as a reserve this year is unjust, that he belonged as a starter. And I, my stomach actually turned when I read the reserve things. Like, here's the West Reserves and Damian Lillard, and it's like, that's not right. And, you know, I, God, I'm, I, I don't know the world of professional athletics. I don't know. All I, can, all I can say is me, if I were Luca, I'd feel sorely tempted to say, you know what, you do this. I know I'm going to be back here. I, I know I'm still an all-star. I, I don't want to start in front of you, uh, you know, ninth, tenth season, you know, that you, you, you are Dame Lillard. You deserve this once if it's not going to happen this year. And I don't even know if he can do that, but I, I would campaign hard to say thank you, but go the other way and I'll be back next year and I'll show you why I'm clear-cut favorite to be named as a starter because they're too equal and Luke is yeah. younger. I can see that, but I don't think Dame, I, if that were me, if I were Dame and that happened, I don't, I wouldn't like that. I don't want that spot because the person who won the spot gave it up for me. I want that spot because it's my spot. And so I would be surprised to see, I mean, he, I think Dame handles a lot of things with grace, but I think in a situation like that, when you're dealing with super competitive driven people and especially for dame who is extremely competitive and extremely driven and is used to in his own words being in this kind of a situation he's used to this happening i don't feel like he's the kind of person who would easily accept that i think that would almost i don't know if it would be a slap in the face i don't think it would be that but i think that's almost worse to have gotten, you know, to have had someone else voted into that spot and then have that person turn around and say, no, you take it. You deserve it more. Even though maybe he does and even though maybe Luca really feels that way, that's not what this is about. And I think that Dame might struggle to actually accept that. I don't know. I feel like that starts to get complicated. Yeah, I know it's complicated. I'm just saying that's what I'd want to do. And, you know, who knows? But it's, again, it's a technicality. It's a, the way it's set up. It's a technicality. Yeah. I, I think we can all agree that was Dame's spot. That was Dame's. Yeah. This was Dame's year to do that. He has the track record. He's done it for years and years now. Uh, he's he's been a thirty point per game scorer. I mean, I'd rather have Damian Lillard than James Harden or a lot of other people. I don't know if it's Dame or Luca. You might give Luca the nod because Luca's younger. If you wanted to start your franchise yeah, at this it, point, but right now for one game, I'm still taking Dame. So it's like, I it's that's a his, hard. It's a hard thing for me in this situation specifically just because I feel like, again, you have to look at this for the criteria. Are we voting for an all-star in general or are we voting for this year? Because if you're talking about in general, Dame's been in the league longer. He's done this for longer. It should be him again. If you're talking about just this year, again, I, I kind of think you can make the argument for Luca. I don't think it should be Luca personally, but I think there are arguments that could be made. I just think that there's so much gray area here. 
I have a hard time with things like this because there's so much gray area. What are what are we working with here? Is it really an all-star game? Is it a fan favorite game? Is it for entertainment? Is it for competition? And above all of that, why the heck are we even playing it? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and we did that last week. But yeah, oh, yeah. You you harken back to every year. I mean, there are old stars that get voted as starters for way too long, and they should be on the on the team. But if you're judging by any fair criteria, they wouldn't be starting. Yet, yet they do. Granted, fine, give the fans what they want. It's just we've got to stop. I think the ultimate solution is stop thinking this means so much. It certainly is not going to define Dave. Stop group. calling it an all-star game. Yeah. Call it a fan favorite game. Sure. That fixes it for me. If, if they would just change the name and say, you know what? This really isn't about all-stars. This is about fan favorites. Call it fan favorite game. I would be fine. I would but, be fine. But Dia, we hate change. So yeah, with that, let, <laughs> let us uh, wrap up this episode. It was wonderful to be with you. We will be back next week for episode 16, hopefully being able to talk about a win or two. Uh, for Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard. And have fun. Go Blazers. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge production. Find more basketball talk at BlazersEdge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.